The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. 2018. We shouldn't, as Democrats, be empowering the Republicans. President Trump was sent here to smash conventional norms. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. A plan to reopen the economy. President Trump, in just more than an hour, is set to unveil the guidelines that he wants to see happen to reopen America's economy. Wow. That's where we're at, folks. And let me tell you, we have the best of the best to guide us through this. Congressman French Hill, Republican from Arkansas, member of the all-important House Financial Services Committee. Uh, he's going to give us a behind-the-scenes look at precisely what policymakers, lawmakers, governors, the president, what they're all saying on the roadmap to reopening. Meanwhile, we're also going to check in with the legendary Josh Wingrove, Bloomberg White House reporter. He's been at the White House. He knows everything that's going on there. He's going to give us his take. Maddie Duppler returns to talk uh, the bad, bad, bad economic jobs numbers. And Hagar Shamali, CEO of Greenwich Media Strategies and former Treasury spokesperson for terrorism and financial intelligence. Going to be great to catch up with Hagar to piggyback off of our interviews and conversations from yesterday with the legendary Jen Psaki and equally as legendary Guy Snodgrass, President Trump sees a downward trajectory in cases as a key guideline for reopening, a.k.a. once you flatten the curve, then you can talk about reopening. The governors are facing a Trump-inspired backlash to ease the virus rules, and the CBO is saying that the stimulus will swell the 2020 U.S. budget gap by one6 trillion dollars. Wow. So a lot to digest. Let's take it one step at a time. Let's first start with President Trump at 6 p.m. Eastern New York time. Uh, tonight, he's going to announce some of the guidelines for reopening the economy. You can listen to that right here, folks, on Bloomberg 99.1 FM. Someone who has been following every twist and turn, been talking with his constituents, been talking with his lawmakers, his colleagues, and the White House is Congressman French Hill. He's a Republican from Arkansas, good friend of the program. Congressman, one, thanks for being here. Two, what can we expect from President Trump in an hour? Kevin, great to be with you. I think he will talk about uh, reopening using the governor's best judgment. Uh, that'll include testing. That'll include a decline in the peak in those states. And I think you'll see that uh, be accustomed to where you are. If you're in a troubled hot spot in an urban, dense urban area, it'll be later than someplace like Arkansas, where we have a less dense population and a more stable number of cases. Congressman French Hill's on the line. He's a Republican from Arkansas. Let me follow up on this. I mean, do you think one of the lessons that we could learn from this is that why did the entire country have to shut down? I mean, why why couldn't why couldn't we have followed the virus trail, so to speak, and where it is, that part shuts down and the other parts stay open. And then when it travels, then those parts shut down. 
Yeah, you know, this is the approach Governor Hutchison has taken here in Arkansas, and you look at Pennsylvania or Illinois to name two states that had a universal stay-at-home order where all businesses were closed by their governors, uh, even in parts of the state that weren't severely impacted. And I think the approach Hutchison has taken here in Arkansas uses a little bit more common sense. Of course, bars, restaurants, massage therapists, barbers, beauticians, those were closed because of the close contact. But he has attempted to uh, be more moderate in a lot of other businesses if they can follow the CDC guidelines. It's interesting. And I think it's I mean, we're going to be dissecting this thing state by state for, for the rest of yeah. my life. I mean, as this goes. So, I mean, what do you think? I mean, are we just, you know, basic question. Are we going to be back up by the 4th of July? I'm looking forward to a 4th of July parade. I think <laughs> it's a good. I really I'm going to have like five bacon double cheeseburgers. I'm going to have, I want fireworks and I want to be like previewing the Philadelphia Eagle season. I'm sorry. I'm off on a tangent. Go ahead, Congressman. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I can put my beach towel down six <laughs> feet from yours, but I'm putting it down. <laughs> so, I mean, this next round of economic stimulus, are you, are you hearing from, from, uh, from Scalise's office and everyone else first week of May? What are, what, what's going to be involved in the stimulus? Uh, what are you hearing from your constituents about what they want to see? Because a lot of folks are worried that SBA is running out of cash. Well, effective today, SBA is out of money in the PPP program. They've stopped taking applications. And in the emergency loan program, we appropriated money for their typical disaster loan program. They announced today they can take no more applications there. So this is what is infuriating as we talk today, Thursday, that last Thursday, a week ago, Mitch McConnell had a simple, straightforward effort to replenish the Paycheck Protection Program by $250 billion, warning that it could well be out of money by the end of this week. That has unfortunately come true. And my small businesses are outraged by being blocked for no substantive uh, purpose. That's crazy. I mean, and, and, and so because of those problems that you just identified, how does that color the next round of stimulus in the first week of May? You know, Kevin, this is you, you cover the White House, you cover yeah. Capitol Hill, you know this so well. And here's my frustration. Thank you. Uh, Mrs. Pelosi is uh, in front of her two $25,000 refrigerators on a late night show talking about her chocolate collection. We need her in Washington working with McConnell to replenish the PPP plan. And then look, if we need more money for hospitals in two or three weeks, we can assess that discreetly as well. But we just distributed the first $30 billion of the over $100 billion we appropriated for hospitals. She's already asking for more. I think it's premature. I'm going to rip up the script to quote my good friend Tom Keene, who I chatted with yesterday. I, you know, I got I to gotta rip up the script for a second because I got to be candid here. You know, I don't care if you vote virtually. I don't care if you vote back in Washington, provided that it's safe and within the CDC guidelines. But what you just said, I, I, I mean, you know where I come from. I come from a politically yep. diverse background, and folks back home on all sides of the aisle are angry that – not at you per se, but I mean they're angry that Washington it, – it's crazy to me and I think to a lot of people that there isn't that, – that, that it's – that number one, there just doesn't seem to be – I don't want to say urgency but that because that's the wrong word because I think there is – it's very real, but that Washington, that leadership in Congress has – 
has really respectfully just been dragging their feet. And that maybe that's the perception, but that's the perception's the reality. And I think you just identified that. I tell you, it just reinforces the stereotype that we have of Congress, and it frustrates me to death because I know, and you know, how many smart, hardworking people are in the House and Senate. Here we are being thwarted by really, honestly, Minority Leader Schumer and Speaker Pelosi from a simple, straightforward fix that benefits tens of thousands of Americans. Trying to, we had five million more people hit the unemployment jobless claim number for a total of 22 million. What does it take to get her interested in fixing this? 30 million unemployed? I know. I know. It, it just, I, I'm with you 100%. And I, it, it's, I'm not making a, a super political comment. I'm making a power comment. We're talking about chocolate on a late night comedy show when we should be in D.C. fixing this problem. And just to, I mean, not to, I, you know, I've eaten all of my chocolate from the Easter holiday because I've been stuck at home. <laughs> Congressman, do me a favor. Hang around till after the jump because I got a couple more questions for you. Congressman French Hill, Republican from Arkansas. Coming up, we're going to ask him more about those unfortunate economic data numbers. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You can also listen to the president's reopening the economy guidelines right here on Bloomberg 9. Coming up in the next hour, you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Congressman French Hill, Republican from Arkansas, still on the line. I got two more questions for you before we uh, we bring in Josh Winger of our, our Bloomberg White House reporter. You've been so generous, Congressman, with your time. These job numbers, I'm reading terrifying reports on the Bloomberg Terminal. Unemployment could be like 30%. What are you, you – you're you come from the business world before you joined Congress – what are you, what do you make of the economic data? Is it temporary? How long is this going to last? And are, this anxiety that is so real that people are feeling, this economic anxiety over job security that people are feeling that is so real. Talk to us from a business standpoint, but also from an elected official standpoint about what you make of the economic data. Well, I think it's stunning. It's the worst since the Great Depression. It is temporary, and it will rebound. But it'll only rebound quickly if we have the kind of testing, uh, in my view, and consumer confidence to come back. Uh, So I don't anticipate uh, quite a sharp V except in a few industries. I think our hospitality, our retail, our food service, our convention will be slow in coming back, but it will come back. And I expect it will be back nicely by the end of the year. But when you combine the coronavirus attack on the economy and us shutting it down as a government to save public health with the impact in our oil and gas industry and the related industries, uh, we are in for a rough period. That's why I'm glad Congress acted quickly. Now we just have to make sure we implement it right. And I really want to thank President Trump and Stephen Mnuchin, our Treasury Secretary, for staying on point. And final question for you is and and we've talked about this offline before what does this mean from a US China perspective not just in, from 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 US and China and those two 
and, and that uh, bilateral relationship, but also how we interact with other counterparts around the world in relation to China as this continues to evolve? I think China's credibility on the trade front has been damaged over the last three decades, but particularly the last three years. And now China's credibility as someone who's trying to step up their presence on the global stage by misleading their own people terribly in Hong Kong and over the coronavirus. So China has a black eye. I think it's going to affect their international relations for years to come. Congressman Frenchill, always appreciate the time. And I look forward to, you, to, to the 4th of July, a socially Amen, distanced brother. 4th of July. Thank you. That's Congressman Frenchill, everybody, a Republican from Arkansas. And again, folks, if you're just joining us at 6 p.m. Eastern New York time, there's going to be the, the president's going to have his daily coronavirus task force briefing, and he's going to lay out the guidelines for reopening the economy. Uh, I want to bring in our Bloomberg White House reporter, Josh Wingrove. If we have Josh Wingrove on the line, I, I believe we're getting him. Josh, are you there? I'm here, Kevin. Hello. He's here. How are you doing? Hello. Hello. First of all, congratulations and great work and great reporting. You guys have just been absolutely crushing, excuse me, crushing it uh, on the White House beat and um, keeping everybody informed. And so congratulations on and keep up the good work. So thank you. Our gratitude to you and to the entire team. What do we expect from President Trump on the guidelines to reopen the economy, and how much have the governors played into this plan? Well, yeah, thank you. And I should say our full credit goes to my colleague Jennifer Jacobs on getting this plan uh, before he releases it. And essentially it's a roadmap that punts uh, a lot of responsibility to both con- uh, excuse me, governors as well as business leaders. I mean, at least a lot of the decision-making up to them it essentially lays out three phases that states can go through, or I suppose county by county if they want. Uh, and, you know, as you sort of go two-week periods without, you know, new outbreaks essentially or hitting certain metrics on, uh, on how the virus is looking in your state, you can take the step to the next phase. And, uh, you know, conceivably this means that kind of, uh, Places could start doing that pretty quickly. You could conceivably start moving towards more normal life, if you will, uh, you know, within days. And if you really fast track and didn't have new outbreaks, uh, but again, mostly up to each state to determine their own metrics, then four weeks from now, you could conceivably be something that actually looks like normal life with, you know, gyms open, bars open, movie theaters open, that kind of thing. Now, of course, the flip side of this, the reason that Democrats in particular were cautioning the president on their call today is that we don't have really the testing capacity to guarantee that flare-ups will be caught quickly. And so we're risking second waves coming out. So the risk of the second wave, and that's really the whole argument, how do you balance public health with economic health? And how do you balance reopening with making sure that there's no outbreaks? Josh Wingrove is on the line. He's Bloomberg's White House reporter. Uh, He's walking us through a preview of what we're going to hear from President Trump. Uh, Are Democrats? I hear what you're saying about Democrats, but I also have talked to folks who are Democrats, who are saying they're also facing pressure to reopen the economy. Uh, Is that message breaking through? All politics is local. And if you're in a part of the country where there hasn't been a hot pocket or hot spot, um, then, you know, you're feeling pressure to reopen the economy. Are are you hearing that from Dems? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're all under pressure. You know, we I think I think that it is the pressure has been building more uh, on Republicans than Democrats. Personally, like we've seen, you know, there was this protest, of course, this week in Michigan, which uh, some conservative groups uh, pushing back against restrictions placed by the Democratic governor. Of course, she is a potential running mate of Joe Biden. 
so, you know, there's a bit of a uh, dynamic there as well. But, you know, of course, people are frustrated. People are going loopy at home. I mean, I'm going loopy at home. You know, <laughs> I Josh is going loopy at uh, home. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. Josh, everyone hang in there, buddy. We need I, you I on hope, the White House. I beat. hope everyone is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think my so we'll, one of my peak Corona rock bottom moments was the amount of Easter candy that I consumed in a very short period of time. I was like, why is all my Easter candy disappearing? Well, it's literally because Kevin, you've just been eating it all day. Go ahead, Josh. I interrupted you. It's a, it's a no judgment zone. (laughs) Bloomberg radio sound on judgment free zone. Did you hear that everybody? Go ahead. So I don't know, like they are under pressure, but what we're seeing in other places like Singapore, for instance, is that if you move too quickly, you end up having to snap back and sort of re-shut down. And that is a worst-case scenario. And the president himself has said that he's worried about that. I mean, it's obviously a potential reality. So this is going to come down to how quickly we can get testing capacity increase. And I mean, like, by a fact, you know, a big increase. Like, we're at something like 150,000. We should be like in a million tests a day kind of capacity and different kinds of tests, including antibody testing, which we don't have. And the reason, at least in wide uh, you know, circulation, and the reason that's important is that you say, like, oh, my workers have antibodies. They're, yeah. They can come back to work. They've recovered. They're not as vulnerable. And we just simply don't have that yet. Amazing reporting. Josh Wingrove, everybody, Bloomberg White House reporter. Coming up next, Maddie Duppler. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. And you are listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Yesterday, when I was talking with Jen Psaki, I told everybody about Dog Tag Bakery in Georgetown, which is one of my favorite coffee shops in the district. Dog Tag Bakery helps uh, veterans and their families and provides financial literacy for their families. And I forgot to mention that you can actually go online to Dog Tag Bakery's website and order a care package. And you're supporting vets uh, and financial literacy, two things that I love. But also, I mean, just truthfully, the food there is incredible. I mean, I got to be honest, folks. Incredible. Just go to dogtagbakery.com. And uh, yeah, it's an amazing cause. One of my favorite coffee shops and really best place to get a brownie. Um, Joining us on the line, who I think shares my love of Dog Tag Bakery, is Maddie Duppler. Maddie Duppler (laughs) is the... Do you like Dog Tag? Love Dog Tag. Good. Also love love Compass Coffee as well. My two favorite DC coffee joints. Yeah. Okay. Touche. Both Both run by veterans. I didn't know Compass. I did know Compass was that was veterans. I think you told me that. I think we actually. I'm having deja vu. I didn't. I did know that, but I forgot that. So always love supporting small businesses and, of course, supporting our vets. Maddie Duppler is back. She is the founder of Forward Strategies, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, and former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference. Maddie, 
I got to be honest. I was talking about this with uh, Congressman Fred Schilt. I look at these the eco indicators and the jobless numbers and the unemployment numbers. I, I don't like it, Maddie. It it it's it's bad. It's bad, bad, bad. Are, are is it all bad. doom and gloom, or are you seeing any signs of of uh, light? All right, Kev. Well, you know me. I am the eternal optimist. That's I why mean, I have you on every bad. week. <laughs> <laughs> the data's been rough this week. It truly has been. But here's the deal. When we're looking at the economic disruption that's happening right now, we know exactly why it's happening. And I feel the need to repeat that because we see a lot of ink being spilled about comparing this downturn to 2008, 2009. We don't have the systemic failures that we had in 2008, 2009. That's, that's point number one that I think gets lost when we hear those comparisons. But secondly, we also know the cause of what's happening and why there are economic consequences to this destruction now, which means we, when we have a plan in place, we know we can put a plan in place so we know kind of the framework for how we can come back from that. So, you know, it's not surprising to me that we continue to see really bleak unemployment data, given that we basically canceled the economy. I mean, that's the, that's the consequence of doing that. Now, these are people who are who need to rely on unemployment insurance now to pay their rent, to pay their mortgage, to get their groceries. And those are real-life stories that we need to pay attention to. They're not just numbers on a page. But I do think having that context is important because look at what's also happening in the stock market. The stock market, I think, kind of gets what's going on a little bit more than maybe politicians do. Because the stock market yeah. the last two days has looked really, really hopeful, and it's because We've yeah. heard from the administration that there's going to be a plan in place to confront the public health crisis and move past it. Oh, I'm so uh, glad you I brought. Think, I think. Go ahead, finish up. I was going to say that I think that that shows that there's recognition that the economic consequences are just that. They are the effect of the real challenge here, which is the public health uh, challenge of coronavirus. You know, I, I'm so glad you brought up the issue of the stock market because I've struggled with this as a journalist. And, and uh, I'm going to be really honest right now. I've really struggled with this, especially over the last few weeks, to see the positive developments coming from the street, but the negative impacts that are being felt on Main Street and from small business owners. And I, I hear you on the point that you're making that policymakers are a bit more, are, are a bit more out of touch uh, than... And I get that investors are seeing things that are different, but who can work from home? Like this is this is what I struggle with. So help me. Investors can work from home. Investors can trade mm-hmm. online. Investors can move money and not have to go, you know, leave their 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 screen. So it yep. it really, I guess, what more can policymakers do, Maddie Dupler, and the conversations that you have with your counterparts? What mm-hmm. more can policymakers do to? cater some of the relief not just through helicopter cash but through incentives that would allow main street to not be able to be pummeled so hard right well like i have been saying all along efforts that keep workers connected to their employer are essential for a couple of reasons one let me repeat that efforts that keep employee employees connected to their employers what do you mean by that so that, what I mean by that are things like this PPP loan program through the SBA that allows 
businesses to keep their workers on payroll and pay them as they weather the effects of the coronavirus. And this is why it's essential. It's essential. We look at what's happening with unemployment claims, and we know that the system is overwhelmed. So we already know that people who need, who've already lost their jobs and need those unemployment benefits, aren't able to access them for a myriad of problems that we have with some of these state issues, with some of these state systems. Secondly, when you think forward a couple of weeks, a couple of months, what we need is the ability to get this economy back online once the virus threat has abated. The easiest and best way to do that is to make sure that you have employees that you can activate immediately. If these if these businesses have to lay off all of their workers, that is a huge drain on their resources to try to find, hire, and then retrain a whole new workforce over the course of a couple of weeks when they're trying to get back online and make up for months of lost time. So something like the PPC program, I always thought was the best way to try because essentially what you're doing is you're pushing pause on the economy and you're trying to hold as many businesses and thus as many workers harmless as we wade through the economic effects of the coronavirus and the uh, things we've had to do in order to contain the virus itself. So what policymakers need to do, Kevin, they need to get their heads out of their you know what and refill the loan program because it ran out of money this morning. It's crazy. That to me is so – I can't even – uh, to me, and, and I, I want to be—I I know I'm a Repo- uh, but it, it, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. That to me, it, that that how is that? You you're the the leader of the ho- of the Republican coalition's former coalition's director for the House Republican Conference. How does I'm not blaming you. How does something like that? <laughs> no, but but seriously, like don't get let's get away from partisan talking points just for a second. How does that something like that even happen in a national emergency? I agree with you, Kevin. No, but, but, but I, still, I know I'm not. But, but like, let, let me tell you, let me tell you what's going on right now. I think that we have. I don't want to paint a broad brush. I've seen a couple members on TV today saying really encouraging things, but at the same time, we have allowed that kind of tongue-in-cheek axiom of like never letting a crisis go to waste actually become a governing thesis, and that's the problem. Is that both sides think they have something to gain from? what's happening right now and the reality situation is no one gains from this situation no one gains from losing their job no one gains from the economy that was going gangbusters and we're in the middle of the longest expansion in american history no one gains from that going down the toilet so politicians need to figure this out i i that you know what you just said that's the quote of the day that the the axiom never let a good crisis go to waste has been a thesis for policymakers how what a that and that's it that's that's just so angering. Give me some hope. Give me some optimism because I just saw, I mean, on CNBC, on closing bell, uh, the Philadelphia Federal Reserve President Patrick Harcher, Harker, uh, he said that, mm-hmm. quote, we're going to hit a period where it's going to be pretty bad. It's pretty bad right now, but we will climb out of this. It's not going to be a sudden bounce back. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. There's going to be certain industries like travel and tourism and hospitality and so forth that will take some time for recovery. Uh, but again, to your point, I mean, he keeps saying that uh, that that there's going to be some type of bounce back. We have about a right. minute left, so give me some optimism. I mean, have you seen that meme going on Instagram, Kevin, that's like, before we rush back to normal, let's assess what normal is worth rushing back to? I do think there's going to be a little bit of a, I think there's going to be a little bit of a realignment, something that we kind of missed in the 90s when, you know, now that we're not a manufacturing country anymore, people are still asking, how did this happen? Where, what do we do with people who used to have those skill sets? 
hopefully what this does is another realignment that proves what we need is worker training to be thorough and consistent throughout the course of a worker, not just when a crisis hits. I think there might be a little bit of realignment in industry that allows people to really pivot with their skills uh, and, and be able to to really go through something like this that's disruptive at the outset, but ultimately makes workers better off. Thank you, Maddie. And that's all we want is for workers to be better off. Maddie Duppler, everybody, coming up, we continue the conversation on policy and politics, and we check in with Hagar Shamali. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Coming up in the next half hour, President Trump's daily coronavirus task force briefing. He's going to lay out the guidelines, folks, for reopening the economy. You can catch that in its entirety right here on Bloomberg 99.1. Now... Returning to the program, Hagar Shamali, CEO of Greenwich Media Strategies, former Treasury Department spokesperson for terrorism and financial intelligence. And uh, Hagar, first of all, welcome back. How, how are you? How are, how's the family? And hopefully you're staying healthy and active. You're so sweet to ask. It's so great to be on with you, Kevin. I, you. I miss you guys in person. So do uh, I, Hagar. We're great. Thank you for asking. We're all doing well. I'm counting my blessings. You know what? I love that. And that's one thing definitely I think, uh, you know, and I, I, I haven't really shared this, but, you know, for me, it's been, listen, I have nothing to complain about, nothing. I'm filled with gratitude, but it's the stillness and having to sit still that I've really struggled with, Hagar, if I'm, if I'm going to be a little, you know, personal for a second, the, the, you know, spreading around the world and all around the country for the first, you know, quarter of this year for the last five years. And then it's like you're forced to sit still. So I definitely had an adjustment period. Did you find that as well, Hagar? Because you're, you, you're a jet, global jet setter, mom superhero. Uh, did you find that as well? Yes, well, and I can I can one up you a little bit on that. You so on can, one Hagar right, Shamali right. can one up me in every department of my life. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, on one hand, uh, yes, I completely agree. Staying home is so hard. I hate to complain because things could be so much worse. But I am seven and a half months pregnant, and oh. sitting all day has made everything much worse. And again, I don't want to complain. I have my health. My kids have no, their I health. Know. I really can't complain. But um, I am. So physically uncomfortable, and it just gets worse by the day. You know, I, because of this baby. So you know, it is what it is. Hagar, thank you for bringing that up because this was my polite way of asking you about that without trying to, you know, be a little too. <laughs> it's personal on air, but I'm, I'm, you're, you're always in my thoughts. You and your family. All right. So did you see this Washington Post uh, exclusive reporting that they had about the outbreak on the USS Theodore Roosevelt and how it's become a defining moment? For the U.S. military, Navy Captain Brett Crozier's message obtained by the Post took some responsibility for the coronavirus outbreak on his aircraft carrier and was sent to three admirals. Acting Navy Secretary Thomas Modley later exaggerated how many people it was sent to as he ousted Crozier. This story is insane. Yes. No, I, it, it's remarkable. And, you know, what's, what's, what's more remarkable, well, first of all, you know, Brett, Captain Crozier at the in the end he got what he wanted right when the letter leaked right his he got his team his sailors were able to be quarantined in Guam he is himself he was tested positive for for coronavirus and he's quarantined um but the outpouring i mean there's a petition online that i think has over 250,000 signatures asking that he be reinstated um because of his leadership because of his care for the crew and their health 
And it is just remarkable what we're seeing. I mean, if there's anything I remember in government, that, that is that the military is very strict with its protocols and its systems and their, their levels of respect for those rules and, and systems, and, and you have to hand it to them. But, um, but, you know, he needed to sound the alarm, and whether or not he knew it was going to leak his letter, he did the right thing, and, you know, I hope he's reinstated. It's, it's really it's – a, it's a really it's – a, it's a turning point for the Navy for sure. I think Trump, President Trump is going to be asked about this in the next half hour because, I mean, how do you not get asked about this? I mean, in the Navy, I can't even imagine the sacrifices that our, our brave servicemen and women are making, uh, especially right now. And yesterday what I learned from my interview with Guy Snodgrass was – you know, we talk about the domestic economic impacts every single day, as we should. Uh, but the, regionally speaking, the military and how they're having to navigate this, especially overseas, that adds such a complex layer. And it's not just the military. It's the State Department. It's the thousands of people serving our country through the State Department all around the world in countries where, quite honestly, they are not as um, uh, are not handling this as well as they should be. Right. Right. Oh, absolutely. You know, to your point about that, it, it, it segues so nicely to the point about the State Department cable that came out yeah. um, that uh, Josh Rogan reported about, right, that said that two years ago they had tried to wave the red flag about – it's a lot of waving of red flags, by the way. I mean, this is a common theme between what you're seeing with Captain Crozier and, and these State Department employees that waved the red flag about the lack of safety protocols at this lab in Wuhan, China. And – um, where now the U.S. government is looking into whether or not the coronavirus stemmed from there. Um, and so it, it's, you know, it reminds me, the first thing I thought when I saw that article and the first thing I saw, thought when I, when I saw the letter uh, that Captain Crozier had sent to his superiors and his colleagues was just these are, these are, it's a team of people who just care really genuinely and really deeply about their mission and about the people they work yes. with and about... Yes. Whatever you know, whatever goal it is they're fighting for and cause they're 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 in, and they're all noble and they're all really you know they're just trying to do their job and they're trying to do it the best they can. They just want um, to do their job. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I really hope that Captain Crozier is, is reinstated, as they say that that uh, as as to what might happen. Which and I think it's likely for him. I mean, I mean, I'm, that's my speculation, of course, but um, he seems like an amazing leader. So beyond that. Moving away from that, and again, the president likely will be asked about that in the next half hour uh, as he announces the guidelines to reopening the economy. And you can listen to that right here on Bloomberg 99.1 FM. But let's bring it to China, uh, which you which you mentioned, and, and Rogan's excellent reporting in The Washington Post. Um, in terms of how how does the U.S. navigate in the long term? It's not going to be a short-term fix. How does U.S. policy, whether it's President Biden or a re-election of President Trump, navigate – Xi Jinping, given what just happened in the past couple of months, right? That's, uh, <laughs> so because the, you're and let me let me just the reason I'm asking is your previous where you previously worked that division of the Treasury Department, based upon my reporting, is going to play a crucial role in the long term on this strategy. Oh, sure, without a doubt, the Treasury Department and the Commerce Department too. Given the you know what it, President Trump has been has been unique in, in using tariffs as this kind of force of punishment, right? This, this point of leverage where to, to use over a country, namely China, um, uh, to try and change behavior. Now, that's very specific behavior, but those types of financial measures, whether it's 
tariffs, whether it's sanctions, um, whether it's other financial tools can be used to exert leverage to change some kind of behavior. And I, you know, I think on in, from where I sit, I would be very strongly on the side of using those tools and maybe others to twist China's arm and to twist President Xi's arm because this, what you have with what happened with the coronavirus between the lying that has gone on and the fact that doctors that tried to raise the alarm were either jailed or silenced. Um, and even now you see, I mean, nothing has changed, right? China, the Chinese, the Chinese regime has been pursuing a PR strategy uh, when the rest of the world is suffering, rather than trying to figure out a way to really look into the truth and how this started and pursue an investigation that is responsible um, so that everyone in the world can feel that we're going to prevent this again in the future. Uh, and I frankly, by, by the way, don't have faith in the World Health Organization to be strong enough to be able to twist China's arm. That's not really their job anyway, but investigating and helping and assisting is. And so I do think that whomever wins the next election, that this is going to be high on their list, uh, regardless of whether it's Republican or Democrat, uh, to try and find a way to force China into opening up further on this issue, into not responding to these scenarios with crushing the truth, um, and to try and let in experts and scientists and engineers and others to figure out, to, to, to really do an adequate investigation of how this happened and how it can be prevented again. Hagar, so well said, I wish we had more time. What are you doing tomorrow? Can you come back on tomorrow? Yes, anytime. Of course, right. you can, for you, anything. anything. Thank you, Hagar. So Matt Shirley, who's listening, he's one of our all-star bookers. Let's get Hagar back on tomorrow because I want to do a segment with her specifically on the World Health Organization. I was not able to get to it today. Coming up, listen to President Trump's live daily coronavirus task force briefing. He's going to announce the guidelines for reopening the economy right here on Bloomberg 99.1 FM. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Thank you for listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.